Hello, I'm Marty Lucan, EdChoice's Director of Fiscal Policy and Analysis. Today, I'm in the studio with Corey DeAngelis, a policy analyst at the Cato Institute and a recent graduate from the University of Arkansas's Department of Education Reform. Thanks for joining me today, Corey. Thanks for having me, Marty. It's good to see you. Yeah, great seeing you again, too. So, Corey, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what brought you into the K-12 education reform and school choice space? Yes, of course. So, as you said, I'm currently a policy analyst at the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom, where I do a lot of work with Neil McCluskey. But I also was part of the Department of Education Reform, where I studied under Patrick Wolf and Jay Green, and where I did a lot of school choice research there. But even before then, you know, I, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and I did my bachelor's and master's in economics. So kind of how I think about my work now is the economics of education. It's introducing market pressures into the education sector through school choice. And so it's kind of viewing the education sector through an economic lens. But, you know, like even during my master's, I was working full time as a manager at a call center. And so it, it's kind of a different field to be jumping into, you know, the, the PhD. But I was lucky enough during my bachelor's and master's to study under Dr. John Merrifield, who is a Friedman Fellow for EdChoice. So I'm sure you know of his past work. He did some work with the Edgewood Voucher Program in San Antonio, Texas. So I feel lucky to have studied under him because while I was doing, you know, my full-time job, he kind of nudged me at least a couple of times to go into this Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas. So I'm glad I listened to him after the third time because I've enjoyed, you know, researching school choice in private schools around the United States and across the globe. Well, that's that's great. You know, and it seems like you and I have a little bit of overlap because uh, we come from the same department and and Arkansas. And of course, John Merrifield, he's one of our uh, Friedman Fellows as well. So we work closely with him on some things. I know you've done some writing about economic of education topics such as market failures and public goods. Can you tell us a bit about some of your research, what you've done, and perhaps what you're working on now or hoping to work on in the future? Yeah, you touched on the whether education or schooling is a public good question, and that, that's a recent study that came out of, uh, it was a Cato policy analysis, and it, it just asked the question whether schooling is a public good, and if you look at the economic definition of public good, you know, whether a good is excludable or, you know, rivalrous in consumption, you see that schooling easily fails both of these conditions required of a public good. So schooling is not a public good. In that piece, I argue that it probably is not a merit good either. It's probably not very uh, good for society overall if the schools aren't producing good educational outcomes for kids. So the control group in that study is private schools of choice. And for our audience, can you tell our listeners, uh, what is a merit good? What do you mean by merit good? Yeah, so a merit good in in the economic sense is what people typically think of when they say something is a public good. When people say, you know, education is a public good, they typically mean, or what they mean to say is, or what they're thinking is that education is good for the public. Um, And something that is good for the public is actually called a merit good. It's something that has positive effects on others in society. So something that has, as economists would put it, positive externalities. So uh, the idea here in the education realm is if I become more educated, let's say Marty has a school, you know, and I buy schooling from him, 
he benefits because he gets my money, and I benefit because I, you know, I'm I'm more able to get a job when I grow up, and I, you know, I I just feel f- more fulfilled with my life. But then everybody else in the room and uh, that I interact with benefits too. So that's a positive effect on others in society. Oh, great. Yeah. Thanks. And and for those interested, we'll put up a link to your report. But you've worked on a lot of other issues and try to answer a lot of other questions too. What else? Yeah, so I think one of my most interesting studies was actually my first study that I ever, uh, you know, released out of the University of Arkansas's Department of Education Reform. And so this was joint work with Patrick Wolf. We used the state-mandated evaluation data, student-level data, for the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program. And so we followed kids from that evaluation until they were 22 to 25 years old. So we looked up their criminal records online in 2015, and we compared them to the criminal records of public school kids. And we found that the kids that got at least four years of the treatment of the voucher program were about half as likely to commit crimes when they grew up to be 22 to 25 years old. So this really is what I'm mostly interested in is these effects of schools or school choice programs on non-cognitive skills like, you know, the character development, whether you grow up to to vote, whether you grow up to be a criminal. Because schools do a lot of other things besides shaping standardized test scores. They influence the character of the student, which I think is more important for the long-term outcomes of the kids and, and the rest of their lives. So I think this is one of the most important studies that I've done. But then, you know, more recently, I've been focusing a lot on the effects of regulations on school choice programs, because, you know, I think that school choice debate is moving toward not, it's moving from should we have school choice at all, to, you know, if we're going to have school choice, what should school choice look like? Should it be highly regulated? Should we require standardized testing? Should we require private schools to to accept all students? Should they have to take the voucher payment as, as, as full payment? And, you know, should we have private or public schools of choice? So I think that's where my research is going. Um, so, you know, like Lindsey Burke and I are doing a paper with Ed Choice, for example, and we looked at the effects of regulations that are attached to voucher programs on the specialization of schools. And we're finding that, you know, that's not surprising to me, but you know, when you start telling private schools that they must do every single thing that the public schools are doing, they start to look a lot like the public schools. So we're finding a homogenizing effect of regulations on the private school market overall. So your work has included studying both academic and non-academic outcomes. You know, you're tackling really interesting and, and I think important questions as well for policy making. So what lessons should policymakers and families take away from your work in in the context of the broader body of research of school choice? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the biggest thing is we need to start realizing that we should start looking at other things besides test scores. I know it's very tempting to focus a lot on test scores, and one of the reasons for that is because test scores are the most accessible forms of of data that we have available for students, especially with all these student privacy issues. You know, we don't want to infringe on the rights of the student's privacy. So a lot of times we focus on test scores. And, you know, that, that, that just makes it very difficult to focus on the important things in life, like the crime stuff. Uh, the crime study I alluded to earlier, it's the only one that exists that links private school choice to criminal activity. 
And that's partially because it was so hard to get the, the data. I was just lucky enough to study under Patrick Wolf, who you know was commissioned to do the state-mandated evaluation of the program. So even though school choice has been around for decades, we only have one study looking at that. We have hundreds of studies looking at test scores, but that doesn't mean just because we have more data on test scores doesn't mean we should focus on test scores. Um, it's kind of like the Economist that I'm sure you're familiar with the economics joke where you know the Economist lost his keys at a bar or something, uh, or when he was out at night. And, you know, uh, someone sees the economist looking under a light post in the light. And, you know, the person asks the economist, what happened? And the economist says, well, I lost my keys. And I, I think I lost it at the bar or, you know, down the street somewhere. And, and so the person says, well, why are you looking under the light post if you lost it down the street somewhere? And he says, well, and the economist responds, it's the only place that has a light. So economists and other researchers like to put a lot of focus on the data that they have available. But that doesn't mean that policy should be made on what data is available. So we should be looking at other things. So for example, just to you know, bring this home, is the re recent American Enterprise Institute report by uh, Patrick Wolf, Colin Hitt, we're both from the University of Arkansas. Colin Hitt uh, recently left the University of Arkansas, but Mike McShane's also on that paper, who's also at EdChoice. And they looked at the effects of school choice programs on students' test scores, and they also looked at how those test score effects, you know, you follow the same kids over time and looked how those test score effects did or did not predict effects on longer-term outcomes such as high school graduation. And one of the big things that I think is important to take away from that report, for example, is that if you look at the effects on reading scores and see if they would predict the high school graduation rates. Only 61% of the reading score effects did not successfully predict the high school graduation effects. And so what that tells me and should tell policymakers that regulating is that regulating programs based on test scores could actually harm students in the long run unintentionally, you know, by, by incentivizing schools and teachers to focus on test scores or how to bubble in answers or just, you know, these skills that are captured by test scores, and it could have opportunity costs. You know, the, the teachers could be focusing less on character development, having debates in class to make students more tolerant of one another. So I think that's where the research discussion is going, and I think that it's great that this AI report came out. And I'm also trying to add to that body of literature with a study that I have under review that's similar to the AI report. Yeah, and to be sure, it's you know it's important that we make sure that these programs are working as intended and benefiting children, and it's important to generate this information. But the question is, you've brought up is you know how we use that information and who uses it and for what purposes is also really important. And I think that test scores provide valuable information for parents, but I have a different view from many others and, you know, how that is used. You know, I think that it's better right. for parents to... Yes, I definitely agree that having test scores is a, you know, it captures something. It captures some type of cognitive abilities, but... And I agree. I think this information should be used just to, you know, supply parents with the information they need to choose the schools that work best for their kids. Because, you know, parents choose schools based on partially on test scores. But, you know, if you look at a lot of the surveys that EdChoice has done and, and other researchers, parents often value other things more, like like the safety of their children, for example. So it shouldn't really 
surprise us that the most recent DC, you know, Opportunity Scholarship Program results found very large positive effects on student safety. It was report, a reported measure of safety, but it was a still a causal experimental evaluation that actually found that the kids that got to use the voucher program uh, ended up reporting to be more safe in school. So we need to consider all of these things. And, you know, like if we start closing schools or preventing kids from picking schools based on, you know, their test score levels and not considering these other factors, we could inadvertently be forcing kids to go into less safe environments just because of these crude measures that we focus too much on. So these are all things that we should think about. And, you know, I don't think we should prevent people's choices based on, you know, based on test scores. Even if, you know, the the evidence for private school choice around the world mostly finds positive effects on test scores. Even in the United States, you know, 17 evaluations that are experimental, the majority are positive effects on test scores. But, you know, to be honest, even if they were almost all negative, which they're not, I still don't think we should use that information alone to prevent people from making decisions for their kids' uh, educations. You know, and I always compare it to this idea that, well, just imagine we had experiments where we had one group, you know, the control group that had, you know, the government start to choose everybody's food, you know, grocery shopping for them. And then we had an experimental group where we said, okay, let's let everybody choose their grocery bill, you know, their grocery packages. And if that experiment found that the government, you know, had lower calories on average than the, than the, than the parents choosing food for their kids, I don't think that that information should be used to prevent people from choosing the groceries for their kids. Um, so again, it could be beneficial to learn about, but it's not something that we should use f- government force to prevent people from freely exercising their educational decisions. Corey, you've also devoted quite a bit of time to addressing criticisms of school choice and and how some individuals characterize research. Can you talk about some of the critiques and challenges that school advocates face right now? Yeah, this has been a big problem for me, especially trying to engage in debate, you know, intellectual debates on Twitter. And I think I first need to learn that Twitter is not the best medium for having an, a well-thought-out intellectual debate. Facebook might be a little better, but you still have the same problems on social media. So, you know, a lot of the times people will say that there's no evidence that vouchers improve student test scores. So Diane Ravitch is famous for quoting this, that there has never been a positive effect of a voucher program on student outcomes, which is just demonstrably false. As I said earlier, there there are only 17 experiments that exist in the United States that use random assignment connecting voucher programs, private school choice programs, to student test scores. The majority of them are positive, and only two of them are negative. And one of those two negative studies actually turned null, so no differences for public and private school students, which is Louisiana by year three. And in D.C., that's the only one that remains negative uh, by year two. Um, And that's only for math scores, not even for reading scores. Their reading scores are no different uh, across sectors. But, you know, I'll show everybody, I'll show some people these studies and they'll just say, oh, well, those studies must be made up. And so I think that's the most difficulty I've had is arguing with people that just don't care about what the scientific evidence says or just, you know, they don't want to listen to results if the results do not confirm their pre-existing biases. 
So I think a better approach that I should take going forward and school choice advocates should take going forward is to, you know, not engage with these people as much, you know, provide the evidence for third parties that are watching the debate, but focus more on the marginal consumer of knowledge, the people that are willing to be convinced otherwise, the people that are on the fence. Because as much as I hate it, hate to say is, you know, there are some people out there that just don't care about the evidence. They don't want to be convinced. And I think we're wasting a lot of time focusing on those individuals. And we could, our, our time could be better well spent focusing on people that actually care about what the science says, you know, doesn't deny the science. You know, I, I, I've been quoted a few times, uh, you know, uh, Comparing these types of people that just deny the science to, you know, climate change deniers or flat earthers, because, you know, it's kind of like saying, look, I have all this evidence saying that school choice is doing a good job. And you're just saying it's all fake. That's similar to me saying, look, we have all these pictures of the earth being round from space. And what if those people just responded saying, well, the government made up those pictures. You know, the earth is actually flat. I'm not going to believe all the evidence that you had. So I've, I've been quoted as saying before that, um, you know, with all the evidence to the, to the contrary, claiming that the evidence is highly negative or not in favor of school choice is similar to, to claiming that the earth is flat. Interesting. And we certainly also need to continue studying these programs as well, in addition to, you know, discussing the current body of research. Moving forward, what needs and priorities do you see for the future of school choice research? Yeah, the big thing, as I alluded to earlier, is looking at program design because we have a ton of research, you know, uh, looking at test scores, looking at other types of, you know, graduation effects. We don't have enough in that, you know, in that area yet, you know, graduation effects, attainment effects, longer term outcomes definitely need to be. They're, they are still understudied. Wages, yeah. Yeah, but the biggest thing that, that is lacking right now is the effects of different types of program design on student, you know, student outcomes or just the private school market overall in a given location. So, like, for example, we have some regulation evidence that suggests that more voucher program regulation does a couple of things. One what it does is reduces the, the amount of schools that participate in the program. You know, if you start telling schools that they must do X, Y, and Z, if you start increasing the cost of participation, unsurprisingly, fewer schools participate. So we know that fewer schools participate. But then we also are, are starting to find that more regulation is leading to less specialization. So if we truly want good outcomes for students and a different option than what they already have, and we want real choices, diverse choices, unique choices, then we need to stop telling the private schools to do the exact same thing as the schools that the students are desperately trying to leave. So that's another thing. But all of these regulation studies that we have right now are suggestive. They're, they're not experimental. They are descriptive. And you know we try to use strong econometric techniques, but we have no experiments. And so work that I'm currently working on that I think is very important is doing experimental evaluations to see exactly what type of regulations drive away participation in school choice programs, what types of, of regulations do these private school leaders not like all that much. So I'm doing joint work with Lindsey Burke and Patrick Wolf on this. Um, we have data for 14 different you know, states in the United States for private school leaders. 
And I'm not going to divulge on the exact methods because we're at the early stages of this. But I will just say we have a true experimental methodology using random assignment to determine the effects of these types of regulations, you know, type stuff like open enrollment, standardized testing, prohibiting uh, copay, you know, you know, forcing schools to take the vouchers as full payment. And so we have experimental evidence coming out in Florida right now, but then we're also going to be working with 14 other states as well. And I will say that we're already finding effects, but I'm not going to say what those effects look like, but they are pretty exciting and very important that we should be focusing on the future. That's great. That sounds like our listeners can keep an eye out for that. Is there anything else that you have forthcoming that you'd like to plug or that our yeah, listeners should? Yeah, if you're going to give me more time, I'll, 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 I'll just hit on a couple uh, of other ones. So one is with Angela Dills, who is a friend with Ed Choice. And she's a really, you know, I, I've been looking at her work since I started on the crime stuff because she had one of the, she had a study looking at, you know, uh, Tebow choice, you know, residential school choice, you know, the, uh, the ability of people to move with their feet uh, and vote with their feet to go to schools and how that relates to criminal activity. So I've been looking at her research for a while. She's a very good researcher, but we joined up on a study uh, recently looking at the effects of schools of choice, so private schools on the mental health of students. And we think we're getting at causal estimates. And, and we're also looking in the long run. We're looking at kid, individual student level data for thousands of students. And we're, look, and we're tracing them until they're about 30 years old. And we're looking at various measures of he- mental health. And the way that we believe we're getting at causal estimates is two ways. We use tons of, um, we have a, a wealth of control variables for parent, you know, education, income, student-level controls, you know, background characteristics. But most importantly, we control for a baseline measure of mental health. So that should be able to get rid of the selection into private school issue because we're controlling for the outcome at baseline. So I'm not going to tell you the re- result for that, but again, it's, it's exciting. It's, it should be coming out soon. And then also one that's coming out even sooner is with Denny Shaquille, who, who was also at the University of Arkansas, who is now a postdoc at Harvard University. But we looked at the effects of schools of choice, so charter schools and private schools, for a nationally representative sample in the United States on, you know, problems that are happening in schools. So discipline problems like fighting, gang activity, drug activity, weapons possessions. And we also looked at student liberty restrictions like uh, metal detectors, the presence of metal detectors in schools, clear backpacks, uh, random dog sniffs. And we're finding school culture uh, advantages for schools of choice, you know, private schools and charter schools relative to public schools, even after controlling for a wealth of student, school, and teacher background characteristics. So that'll be coming out in the Journal of School Choice, uh, I think, within a couple of months. So be on the lookout for that one first. Wow. A lot on the horizon. Uh, A lot of exciting stuff and important stuff on the horizon. Corey, it's been great. Thanks for being with us today. Of course, it's always great to see you, Marty, and uh, it's great to be on the podcast with you. Thanks for having me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more of our coverage of New School Choice Research, Education Reform Policy Chats, and more. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon for more EdChoice Chats. (laughs) 